As the pandemonium of free agency settles down, attentions turn to the NFL draft. The Seattle Seahawks come equipped with some of the most draft capital in the league and the most they've had in over a decade. Joining us to discuss what they should do with it is the Athletics' Nate Tice. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my loquacious producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing well. Feeling uh, pulled in a few different directions right now. You know, we got baseball back, Jackson. We've got the NBA playing starting tonight. Um, feeling a little bit nervous for our wolves over here, but your you know man what? Anthony Edwards, uh, my man about, Anthony Edwards, about to explode. He's gonna explode. I'm ready. My body is ready. But now, football is taking precedence. That's right. right. Football is it's taking time precedence. to lock in. So let's talk some. Let's talk some ball, Jackson. Football never stops. Well, we are very lucky to have today's guest as we barrel towards the draft. He has spent quite literally his entire life immersed in football. The son of former NFL player and head coach Mike Tice, he was a Division I quarterback at the University of Wisconsin. When his playing career was finished, he worked in the scouting department for the Atlanta Falcons as an offensive assistant coach with the Oakland Raiders and is now the popular staff writer and podcaster at The Athletic. He is Nate Tice. Thanks for coming in, man. Thank you. No, this is great. I'm ready for the playing game as well. I have my Wolves shirt, my Timberwolves shirt on underneath my sweatshirt right now. <laughs> oh, a kindred <laughs> spirit. A kindred spirit. And on top of it, I have my Seattle Mariners sweatshirt oh my on God. top of it. Okay. So oh. I am like, I am in, and we're talking football. And you're oh talking to Hawks. So I'm, we in, hit the I'm, in, I'm in just safe company right here. I you just, you just became Mike's favorite person. Oh, my God. Yeah, we are so I'm ready. right I, now. This is amazing. Oh, this is I know great you mentioned it. I, was, I heard playing game. I was like, okay, Clippers fan. And then I heard, and then the Wolves, I was like, oh, my God. What are the odds? I just put the shirt on before we started the pod, too. Well, I'm I'm just I'm I'm just gonna turn my mic off and I'll let you guys just yeah. bro out for for the next hour. Yeah, I wonder how they're gonna play defense. Like they drop cat, you know, into the into the paint. You know how they're gonna play pick and roll. No. <laughs> all right, all right. That's enough of that. That's enough. Of that. <laughs> Listen, man, we we are thrilled to have you, and I want to jump right into this. Um, I want to talk about the draft as a whole and what role the Seahawks might play in it. But before we do that. I do want to get your impression of where Seattle sits after such a tumultuous season and off season so far. Oh man, I, we we just did. Uh, oh my God, today is Tuesday. So yesterday we did a podcast and we just checked in on about a dozen teams that maybe we haven't talked about a bunch in this off season. Um, really been focused on prospects. We being me and Robert Mays on the Athletic Football Show. But when we we're doing that show. When we talked about the Seahawks, I felt like I was shrugging my shoulders throughout the entire segment because it was just like, what are the Seahawks? Like, what are what is this team? And I felt like usually I try to have a couple notes ready. And I was like, I was really looking to Robert going like, how are we guiding this? Like, how are we going to like discuss this team? Because they seem like they're a team, like no shit Sherlock, that they're in flux. They're at a crossroads. The first time I came on the show, uh, the lost episode is that oh. <laughs> <on> the, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a sec, I'm sure. But on that one, I remember saying, man, this really te- feels like a team at a crossroads. And a couple months later, I think everybody that focused on the Seahawks kind of knew that. So, but it just really seems this team is trying to go down what path they're, they're deciding what path they're about to go down, whether it's going to go with a youth movement, whether they're reloading or whether, you know, it's a, a full on, no, like we're just moving on. Like everything's fine with drew lock. So it's a whole bunch of question marks. It's like, they're the, they're the Riddler of teams. 
that's why it just feels like the outfit with just question marks all over them. <laughs> yeah, t- totally, totally. And and it's possible that this draft doesn't even clear that up. It's it's hard yeah. for me to imagine Pete Carroll at his age and also just the way that he's wired to approach this as like, hey, we're going to punt 2022. Yep. And then, you know, we'll we'll try and figure it out from 23 forward. Um, even when he first took over and, and the Seahawks were in a bad way. Uh, coming off the Jim Mora disaster, those Jim, Jim Mora Junior, yeah. <laughs> disaster <laughs> year, right? And God, that felt so long ago. It right, and and they came in and they were in a very similar situation, you know, kind of placeholder quarterback. You know, it was, it was the end of Matt Hasselbeck. Tavares Jackson was the only other guy on the horizon for them, but they they went and they brought in some established veterans too, right off the bat. You know, they they didn't just say, "Hey, full youth movement." And they were competitive in 2010, you know, made the playoffs and beat the Saints, obviously, in that beast mode upset. Great. As we all expected. Yeah, right. And then <laughs> and then 2011, they rolled Tavares out there with, like, Sidney Rice and a bunch of rookies and second-year players. And, and then the next year, they became one of the elite teams in the NFL and mm-hmm. stayed there for about four or five years. You're right. The, there's two different directions they can go. One thing that I am confident about with Pete Carroll and John Schneider – is that they're not going to stay in the middle. I do think they're going to plant their feet and pick a direction and go hard. Do you get a sense? Uh, like if you had to guess, are, do you see them kind of going all in 2022, trying to really compete for the division or sort of build out something 2023 forward? I think I think this year is kind of like, hey, if things break right, cool. If they don't, shrug our shoulders and kind of move to 2023 um but it just is like you said and that's exactly where my hesitations came from with with talking about the seahawks and trying to decide what path they are going down is exactly what you're saying about Pete carroll because Pete carroll doesn't seem like the rebuilding type <laughs> he just he is a competitive everything's competition with him everything 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 like everything he does having the basketball hoop in the team meeting room all that all the stuff uh, how he competition is all like ingrained in the culture of the Seahawks. And that's kind of proliferated. Everybody's competitive, like every team is, but the Seahawks really try to embrace that kind of persona in the 2010s. And that's what it seems to me is that if they like a guy at nine, like a a guy meeting a quarterback, that can totally shift. The sales are going to just change completely for this whole franchise. If they really like, and I, I, I think they like Willis, but Malik Willis, uh, they might like Desmond Ritter. I have no idea because it's just so many smoke signals going out in every direction and and fake smoke signals. And like, yep. it's just, it's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to read in between the lines. And it's kind of like almost everything you hear, you want to think the opposite. You want to George Costanza it and just like, <laughs> just go, nah, I don't believe that. Well, it was, uh, it was this time last year that Adam Schefter and the rest had us all convinced that the 49ers were taking Mac Jones. Yep. Yep. About yeah, literally a year ago, uh, and that's how things have changed mightily yeah. since then. And that's exactly how I'm feeling with this. And that's why it's so hard to guess a couple of weeks out of the draft because that is going to indicate so much. If they don't go quarterback, then our I think our first kind of like intuition going like, well, they're kind of like just seeing how this year goes. Roll out the ball. They paid players. That's why I don't feel like this is a like blow it up like full on youth movement. The fact that they brought Diggs back, they signed Disley back, like that's those are indicators of like having tangible players. That seems to me more of like we might we're going for we're aiming for ten and seven this year and trying to get feisty like just make it to the dance and be feisty in the playoffs because that's really what the playoffs are now. It's like just get there and that's let's see what happens from there. So that 
those like just read in between the lines, those moves signal kind of like we're gonna kind of we're gonna roll the ball out and see how competitive we are, as opposed to going, eh, let's try and get a top five pick next year. Uh, it's just that's what it seems to me. Just reading, like, that's me. I have no idea. I'm a Mariners fan, not a Seahawks fan, so <laughs> it's easy for me to say without the biases. But it's yeah. But I, it just does not all the stuff I'm like, kind of smelling with all their their movements and all of the how they're talking, how they're looking. They want to stay competitive. It looks like even though in the NFC, really compared to the AFC, is not as much of a bloodbath. The AFC is a total bloodbath. The NFC is kind of. You could be frisky. I really do think that. Totally. And so you alluded to earlier the lost episode, the the mythological lost. Oh episode man, it was we, such a good episode. It was a great too. episode. It was, it, was, it was an awesome episode. And so in November we had Nate on, you know, to talk some Seahawks in the middle of the season. You know, this was post Russell Wilson's injury, and so mm-hmm. there was, you know, we we were thrown into the blender about all of that. But so Nate, if we had told you in early November that the Seahawks were going to trade Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos after that season, would you have believed us? I would have. I, you know, the last year, a year ago, it was so funny watching Aaron Rodgers and Russell both throw hissy fits in their own way. Yep. And, and it was so both of their personas. Aaron Rodgers is through, you know, Pat McAfee leaking stuff into the media, but saying he's not leaking it. And then Russell's whole thing was, it's not official. I'm not saying I want to be traded. But if we were talking trade candidates, these are the cities I would like to go to. But nothing came from Russell, of course. So it's like, it's just funny how they both kind of did that. And I and I've, I think I said that on the last episode. And I've said before is that it really, I think that Mahomes, Tom Brady, Super Bowl, I think it really rattled Rodgers and Russell. Because I really do think they were like, hey, we're next in line. Everyone's talking about Brady to Mahomes. They're passing the torch. What happened to us two? And I really think that's when they were like, hey, hey I want to win another one. I want to win another one. Hey, I want to become an all-time great, even though we're, they're going to be, you know, they've they've had pretty damn good careers. So I really think that's what set the, you know, set the clock in motion or you know, started the clock was last year when as soon as those stuff started leaking, it was kind of like, what are you doing for me? If not, I'm gone. And they did it. Packers resolved it in one way and the Seahawks resolved it in another. And that's kind of, I'm not shocked. If Rodgers got traded, wouldn't have been shocked. Russell got traded, I wouldn't have been shocked. That was not totally, totally surprised. Off the top of your head, do you like this move for the Seahawks? I do. Just where they are as a franchise. I think this the it's it's tough. And I said this I went on Mina show and I I kind of said this. It's never easy trading away a QB. Like it's just like an NBA trading away a star. You're never gonna feel like you got enough. But I think on paper, where they're at as a franchise, I also think Russell's aging. And, and not a good way. Uh, it's just how he plays. He's trying to be more of a pocket guy, but you can see some of his limitations crop up, especially this past year. And so I really, I don't hate it. Like, I did not hate it. I actually thought they did okay. It's just you're never going to feel like you get, you get enough when you trade away a quarterback. Yeah, and, and you know, we've talked about that on the show too, is they it was, it was this sort of arranged marriage where yeah. – once Rogers signed that, because I think it was the morning of the trade, Rogers signed his extension mm-hmm. with the Packers. And so the Seahawks knew the Broncos were desperate. The Broncos knew they were the only team mm-hmm. Russell Wilson was was trading or, or waving his no trade clause for. So you were left with this sort of intimate dance between two lovers. Right. But neither, you know what I mean? Like they, it it was tough. And, and given the fact that Russell Wilson p- 
put Seattle in that situation. And this isn't me vilifying Russell Wilson. He, no. He's going to do what's best, what he feels best for his career. There's a lot of variables. To this <laughs> totally. <stuff. laughs> like that's this, what people right. Realize. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Jody Allen, yep. they, they have to make decisions based on what is best for the future of their franchise. Yep. Russell Wilson has to make decision based on what's best for the future for his family, his career, his legacy. Yep. And we're lucky that for 10 years, those two things lined up, but it, it's been clear the last couple that very likely that wasn't going to continue forever. I actually thought Seattle did pretty well. I like I this. Too. I like the Seattle trade package more than the Texans trade package for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And it's just also like, so, okay. Say Russell looks like how he kind of looked last year. Those picks might be in the teens. You know, the AFC West is a bloodbath. Like and they got to not- play the NFC West too. Yes. And it's, you know, that that's the other thing is there's a lot of stuff that can just break the wrong way the Broncos I mean Nathaniel Hackett might be an awesome coach we don't know how he's going to be as a coach we don't know they lost Mike Munchak who was their ace in the hole with their offensive line like that's uh, that those are those are bigger question marks than I think people are realizing they're just going oh Russell look at those receivers oh my god he's gonna throw for 5,000 yards but it's really like well how are they going to get that? Like, what are they right. going to run with them? What how are yeah. they going to block it? Like, how's the defense? I do like some of the defensive moves they made, maybe then more than a month ago. But how's the defense going to look? It's a whole new regime. So it's all I'll say. They lost Mike Munchak. Tom Cable is available. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Russ is really banging on the desk to get Tom Cable back. He's he's got him on, he's got him on speed dial. By the way, wasn't it funny too when I mentioned those trade candidates that Russell had last year? Well, we're unofficially had you know yeah. whoever whoever leaked it. It wasn't him, of, of course, but it was it was Chicago, the New York teams, the LA teams, and I think Vegas. I think those were it was. And then how quickly all those just went. Boop, 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 yeah, and they just went away. <laughs> Yeah, it was all Zach Wilson totally. got drafted, Justin Fields got drafted, Justin Herbert became a star, uh, Matthew Stafford got traded to the Rams, and it was like, well, well, looks like you're in Denver. Denver now. it is. <laughs> Denver it is. How's their state income tax? Totally. Well, and and you know, it's it's exciting because the Seahawks got you know a, an early first round pick, early second round yep. pick, and a bunch of players this year. That's that's all very exciting. I, what I'm most I'm a excited fan about fan. is I I am too, man. And I'm, I, I'm I happy like to see that earlier today they did pick up his fifth-year yeah. option. I, I don't see how you include him in the trade without doing that. Um, and, and tight ends are are an interesting breed. Since since you mentioned it, I think it's worth talking about because we haven't, we haven't discussed Noah Fant a whole lot on the show yet. And I think he's worth a little bit of airtime because, yeah. you know, these guys come out and a lot of times first-round tight ends, they're just the best athlete on the field in college. And – a lot of times you can just scheme up your best player and you figure out ways to get him the ball. And, and you know, it's how guys like LaVisca Chenault and Traylon Burks end up as first round picks. It's just like, you're the best athlete on the field. We're just going to give you the ball. Now, can that translate to the NFL? Who knows? But with tight ends, not only are you learning how to be a receiver at the NFL level, you also are learning how to be essentially an offensive tackle yep. at the NFL level. You are learning two positions. There's a reason why there is a three-year lag time for even the great tight ends to really yes. be good. And and trading for Noah Fant in the fourth year of his career is honestly like kind of pristine timing. It really is. I last summer I was predicting a breakout from him. And and I was really geared up. I was like, man, this guy's hitting right. This is year three. He's going to see some growth. Saw some growth in some ways, but he kind of flatlined in other ways. And also just the Broncos offense was just 
meh <laughs> as a whole. Totally. Uh, we'll talk about the quarterback and probably in a little bit, but uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, uh, partial quarterback. But I I'm a big fan of Fant. I think he has the trait. I like you just mentioned. Tight end is just so it's impossible to find guys. It really is. There, it's so hard to find an all pro caliber tight end. Even finding a good tight end and a real tight end, not a glorified receiver like a Mike Kosicki, who defenses treat like a receiver. He's just a tall, mm-hmm. skinny receiver, even though we list him as a tight end. To have a guy that can actually block, right. to actually run these routes, to actually like line up in line, that's such a hard skill to find, and especially a guy that's only getting better. He's 24 right now. I know. It's like it's this. I he, he's going to take a leap, and it's so I thought that was a great pickup for them as far as that trade because what he can bring. I know upside is always going to be the thing. What he could do, even if he only makes eighty five percent of what his, his potential could be, that's a good starting wide tight end with legit down the field ability, which is so hard to find. So I, I'm a I'm a big fan of his. He has some stuff catching in traffic. He'll kind of double catch some stuff. But other than that, though, I think he's a good, good player that's only going to get better. So I'm I, I'm excited to see what he does in Seattle. So how do you think that Will Disley fits into this conversation? Know, because the Seahawks just resigned him as paying him like a top 15 tight end in the NFL. I and I know that, um, Nate, you and, you and Mays had been talking recently about, you know, how football is – you know, cyclical yeah. positions kind of come back to how they were a ways back and how, you know, the value of having a tight end who can threaten vertically as well as, you know, threaten as a blocker is so important. So even though Disley doesn't have that production, how do you interpret that signing? It's just be able to be in 12 personnel, which is two tight ends. And just having that is, that's the goal, I think, of every offense possible, or like that really that knows what they're doing. They want to get into where they can sit in one personnel grouping that gives no indicators to a defense. Uh, offenses and defenses in the NFL and most colleges, you break it down, everything by down distance situation, clock situation first, two minute or four minute, down distance, okay, where you're at on the field, red zone, or you're backed up, usually are the only two that you really worry about. And then down a distance and then personnel. So it's really, okay, it's second and long, and they're in 12 personnel. Like, defense is a look. There'll be a guy, there's a defensive assistant with a card that says 12 on it or 11 on it to signal what they're in, the offense is in. So if you can attack, and this is what the Rams try to do out of 11 personnel, three receivers. If you can attack your entire offense or, or attack a defense with your entire offense out of the same personnel grouping, but getting to different formations, it's a pain in the ass for defenses. Because they, they can't just narrow down. Everyone everyone has their call sheets, like a menu. And you use the other indicators that the offense is giving you to narrow it down. Going, okay, usually when they're in 12 personnel on second and long, they run the ball. But if they it's 50-50 run pass and what types of runs and pass you get to, all of a sudden the defense goes, well, we ah, uh, defense coordinator's got seven calls. Uh, uh, all right, cover two. Oh, shit, cover two. Yeah, yeah, okay, soft. Well, guess what? Seahawks can come out there with 12 personnel and just pound the rock. And you get in this, you know, a light package, light personnel grouping. That's what that can do, like the, in theory. And that's why I actually think Disley is a tangible tight end. It's you know he's been productive, like he's he's done some stuff, like he's had stuff. You have uh, to account know, for him at least. Yes, yes. He's not a guy that's just oh, who's that guy again? I don't know, practice squad guy. I don't know. But it's like, but with him and now Noah Fan, and they kind of attack a little bit in different ways and how they how they can be utilized. That's going to just help open up the offense, even if it sounds boring to have two tight ends on the field. The thing that got me most excited about the trade package for Russ was the 23 picks, right? We 
there's been so much said about the quality and depth of the 23 class. I think for a couple of years now, people have been kind of talking about that. That is the class of players. And, and I think it's so important for Seattle to have been loaded up in that, in that draft class as well. You know, they're presumably going to have four picks in the top 50 or so next year. And, and there's going to be a lot of really exciting conversations surrounding the draft at this time next year. But I want to zoom back into this draft a little bit. I, I really love the draft. I, I find the process leading up to it to be fascinating, but I don't have the depth of insight you do when it comes to the specific players, the teams, how they may fit with each other. What can you tell me about this class from like a 20,000 foot standpoint? Quarterbacks suck, uh, <laughs> but okay. there is a lot of good talent in this draft. This is a draft you want to you want to have as many picks between 10 and 70, 10 and 60. You want as many. How about between nine and seventy-two? Nine and seventy-two also works. That we'll, okay, we'll okay. Add that to the threshold. Yeah, we'll just bump <laughs> it just a little bit. Like, like, do you ever use a Peloton? Like, and, and uh, only religiously. Okay, you do. Okay, so I yep. I got one a few months ago. I love it now too. And but yeah, just like you know, they go twenty to forty. Okay, so yeah, we'll go to forty-two. Yeah. You know, just on yeah. that on that yep. <laughs> on that resistance. But it's I think there's a lot a lot of good tangible players in that range. Maybe just not the star upside that especially last year's class had that had legit blue chips at several positions. The Kyle Pitts, the Jamar, all the receivers, not even just Jamar Chase. There's four receivers I really liked. Um, offensive line, they had two tackles. They had some, you know, just like a really nice smattering of talent. This one's more like you're going to get a lot of good starters that come out of this with a couple guys that hit even higher than that. That's why I always think it's when people go, it's a weak class. I, I disagree with that completely. Weak class for quarterbacks. Weak class if you have a top five pick, but if you have other, you know, other stuff that it's mm, that's good. That's what you want. You get that good starters there. What positions would you say this class is strongest at or or deepest at? Um, I defensive line. I would say uh, is probably one of the better ones as far. Maybe not the high end guys are good, but then really just depth at defensive line. Pretty good safeties in this class, um, especially in that kind of day two range. A lot of lot of good running backs and tight ends in that kind of day two, early day three range. Like I said, that's what you're going to hear a lot of, a lot of day two. And, of course, receiver. Receiver's really deep. Um, I would say the four guys last year, the the Rashad Bateman, um, uh, Waddle, uh, Chase, and uh, Devontae Smith, who I freaking love, those four are probably higher end than these guys this year. But the, the class this year in rounds two and three is really, really deep. I think there's a lot of good players from 20 to 80 at the receiver position. One of the possibilities for Seattle's here is the option to trade back. And this is true at all of the draft positions. Right now, talking about... Aren't you guys used to trade back anyways? Yes. It's a way of life at this point. <laughs> yeah. that To be fair, that's usually because Seattle's picking at the end of the first round, which I've always contended you're picking second round talent and Same giving them first player. round... Yeah, yep. you're giving them first round contracts. So that that I'm actually okay with. Uh, the few opportunities that John Schneider has had uh, to pick early on, um, he he's showed a little bit more tendency to stay put. But it is a very real possibility that Seattle moves back from number nine. And for me, I'm fine with that as long as Seattle isn't getting cute. And by that, I mean passing on those kind of consensus studs in exchange for more of a tweener pick in the first and then like an extra day two or day three pick. Yeah. 
When you look at this class, how many true blue chippers do you see and how far back, if you were Seattle, would you feel comfortable trading before worrying that you're not going to get one of them? Oh, blue chippers. I think there's only like three or four true okay. blue chippers. Yeah. And, but then, then there's that next tier of good to very good. I would say, you know, there's a good 20 of those. Um, but truly like true, true guys, like top five talents. I, how I always look at talents is a true top five guy. Like truly you are fine. Like no one blinks. If you take this guy in top five, who, who are I, those guys in this draft? Oh my God. I think Thibodeau is one. Um, but I, but that's what's scary. See, has so many question marks at pick one. But then if you're taking them pick five, four, five, six, I'd be, yeah, two thumbs up. We're good there. Um, I'm not as high as Hutchinson as others are. I think he's still, a good, again, another good prospect, but not a top three, top five guy. Um, I actually have Drake London as a blue chip guy, the receiver from USC. Um, I'm super high on him because I think he's a true mismatch. I gave him a blue chip grade for Bleacher Report uh, because he was one of the, like, that's one of the guys I actually, like, think if stars align perfectly, he can be a true mismatch in the NFL. I'm trying to look at the other guy. There's one other guy I'm blanking. Oh, and then Evan Neal, the three tackles. Yeah. I, I really yeah. like Evan Neal, Charles Cross, and Iki, uh, Iki Kwanu. Uh, I always butcher his name. I, I'm so bad with last names. I just make some up. And then <laughs> I, think you got, I think you got it right, though. Did I? I uh, Robert usually corrects me, so it's pretty good. I think the three tackles, I really like Cross. I'm way higher on him than other people, even though he's you know a lottery pick grade for a lot of people. I think he should be worthy of a top five pick. So that's really, that's where it's not sexy, but that's really what you have there. But how I look at it, I usually go top five, and then I'll say lottery pick. To me, lottery pick's top 20. And then after that, then you get picks 20 through 40 or usually, like you said, when you're trading back at the end of the first round, you get somewhere tier player. Um, that's really just the difference of it. But that's how I like to tier the guys. So if you're if you're sitting at nine and your top four guys are gone, you're you're telling me you're, you'd be comfortable trading back into the late teens potentially if it netted you another pick that you liked? I, I would. It, it's a, I feel like the Saints, their move was the first domino to fall or something like that. And that's what's interesting to me. And then there's a rehash rehash that deal for those listening. Yeah. So the Saints traded with the Eagles. They moved up to get two first rounders and they traded away next year's first rounder and a couple other smattering of picks, uh, a little poo poo platter of stuff. But they, I think they moved up into those two late teens. I'm trying to remember the exact. I think they're 16 and 19. Is that sounds right. right now? Yep. Yep. They're 16 and 19. Exactly. Nice job. And with 16 and 19. Usually don't make that kind of move, especially a month out from the draft to like they this is when we're talking about smoke signals. Daniel Jeremiah originally right away just goes, oh, I think they really think they're going to get two good starters there. And that's immediately when my bullshit alarm starts going off, because the first message to come out is that from a guy that's connected with teams like, you know, Daniel Jeremiah is very well sourced and everything. So that to me, that means someone's trying to control the narrative. And so that's where I go. George Costanza, I go, I'm going opposite. So that's where they're sitting and, you know, Carolina has a lot of indicators that they're looking at a quarterback. Do they try to move in front of that? Yada, yada, yada. Like, so that'd be an interesting, you know, candidate to maybe move up. You know, there's also Pittsburgh sitting there at 20. They're not, they've, they've moved up a couple times over the years, but that's another interesting team. So yeah, like you said, if the Seahawks don't get too cute and they move into that range, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. You know, I, and, and that gives me a little bit of, of comfort. You know, there's, there's talk that, Thibodeau could slide as far as nine, um, especially if you see some teams move up for quarterbacks. Yep. But w- would you say if you're if you're sitting there and and those guys are gone, you're you are looking for if I can get a, 
a second day two pick, you're happy to move back 10 spots. I, I wouldn't hate it. I, I would not, especially especially where other team other teams are going to start. There's going to be a run on receivers, I think, in the early teens and mid teens. Um, so I and where the Seahawks are at that position, you know, I know how many times you're going to talk about getting a third receiver, but <laughs> but it's I, I think in the late teens you can get maybe a better talent at a position you want talent at. Yeah, I really this is an eye of the beholder draft. Every draft is, but this is the most eye of the beholder kind of draft like <laughs> yeah, it, just, yeah. it really is like so there's gonna be talent that drops because of need at other positions that other teams have so just to kind of recap the seahawks are holding the number nine number 40 number 41 and number 72 picks in the first two days of the draft as you try and read the tea leaves and parse the tarot cards have you got a sense of which players they could be targeting in those first three rounds man i i could see them going every different direction yeah. <laughs> um doesn't Thibodeau feel like a Seahawk though? I, I'm does. dead serious. Yeah. Doesn't he? Just as, yeah. everything about him feels like a Seahawk. Like I, I'm not worried about his personality at all. I think this is just a dude that just he's just worldly. I think with his yeah. brain. I think he is very. I think that's people I don't have an understanding now. I think of some of these 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 Zoomers, Gen Z. I can say that now because I'm in my 30s. But these Zoomers coming through is that they understand what's going on in the world. They're very connected. That's what social media does for us. So not every guy is going to go, Oh, I live and breathe football. I watch saw before every game. And you know, I, I eat glass and this is what all I care about. I'm going to headbutt this wall. It's like some of these guys are gonna be educated now and actually are understand how the world freaking works and understands that sports are a business. And, and I don't know why, why that's scary <laughs> for some of these teams. Totally. Two, two thoughts on that. Um, one, I, I don't think Pete Carroll cares about that as much as other coaches do. I, th- I, th- I think he actually prefers to have guys that have interests outside yep. of football and wants to give them space to pursue that. The other thing is I always think about Myron Roll. You remember him from Florida yeah. State? Yeah. And he was like an elite defensive back, first round grade, all these things. But he was also in med school studying to become a surgeon, and teams yeah. are like, "Oh, he's off my board." Was he like I think a Rhodes he's, Scholar? Yeah, or he was. A, like he was a yeah. Rhodes Scholar, and teams are like, "Nope, don't want that guy." Right. Too too focused on being a surgeon, and it's like, and, and you know what? Love football. Right. Doesn't love football, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like he ended up dropping to like the sixth round or, or something like Some, that, you know. And and to me, that's I I remember. I mean, that was a long time ago. I was young. I. I mean, I don't think I have very nuanced takes now, but they were certainly much less nuanced then. And even then, I was just like, "Man, what is that? That is crazy to me." And and what? I one thing I appreciate about Pete Carroll is that he is investing in the person, not just the player. Yes. And and for that reason, Thibodeau does seem like the fit. Yeah, and I, I've learned this from my dad, and he would always say, "Weird is not bad." It's like, you know, there's some people just think weird, like a guy's goofy. That's like, oh, no, that's a bad thing. We can't handle it. It's like weird just means weird. Like, you know, as far as like just having a unique personality. You know who's it, really weird? George Kittle. <laughs> George Kittle is extremely weird. You know who's actually really weird? Russell Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Super <laughs> weird guy. Right. Super weird it's like guy. it's it's like the, the Kanye West line. Show me one genius that ain't crazy. You right. Know? Like these these. To get to this level, a lot of guys yeah. are just operating on the fringe. They got a different wiring. A lot of guys hide it. That's the thing. They just yeah. are very, especially the quarterback position. There's a lot of weirdos at that spot, but they just hide it very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally, man. All right. Okay. So, so, Nate, you get the call. You don't recognize the number. You answer it. It's Jody Allen. 
They are moving on from John Schneider. They have tabbed you as the interim GM for the Seahawks. You're sitting at nine. Can't find a trade back partner that you like. Who are you realistically hoping is there? Let's say Thibodeau is gone. Okay. Realistically, as you're kind of working through your mock drafts and trying to figure out, all right, these guys are likely to go there. Who are you hoping is there at nine? Oh, I would love Charles Cross for mm-hmm. them. I would love a tackle. Uh, and just, uh, I don't know how the stone foresight experiment's going to go, <laughs> right. but, uh, you know, I think cross is a hell of a problem. Like I, I legit, like I put a bet on it that I, I think he's a number one worthy tackle. I think it's overblown what his run game deficiencies are because they just run that's Mike Leach air raid stuff. But I, I think that's been overblown about him. I think he's just a stud. Um, I just go, I feel like I go crazy every time I bring up, everyone's like, oh, really? I see him in the teens. It's like, no, nah, I would take him top five. Uh, but him, I love him at tackle. I think any- I got I got bad news for you. He just got taken right ahead of you. Honestly, Desmond Ritter is, if they want to go to the quarterback- down the quarterback path. You're going quarterback at <laughs> nine. God. All I, right, baby. We said if you liked a guy, and uh-huh. I like and I like a guy, and his name's yeah. Desmond Raider. About ten picks before I would be comfortable taking him. Uh-huh. But if I, I do like him, I, I think this guy has a chance to be like a good starting quarterback and pretty early in his career. So I wouldn't hate it. This is a team that wants to reload, and I think Desmond Raider is the most, you know, ready quarterback, pro ready quarterback of this class. I maybe take a maybe take a swing on him. Okay, so this is interesting. Uh, we recently had Griffin Sturgeon on, and he tweeted out something that, as soon as he said, it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that that seems right." And he said, "Malik Willis seems like a Pete Carroll quarterback, and Desmond Ritter seems like a Shane Waldron quarterback." And that uh... and that landed for me, right? Like Pete Pete wants the big balls throws, mm-hmm. and Malik has that. Uh, but you're you're sacrificing some things in the short mid range game and kind of the the quick processing stuff. But Ritter seems to just live with that mid range jumper, and and I think that that is sort of a bread and butter part of the passing game. If Shane Waldron had his way, it yeah, that would make total sense. Especially what what I love about Ritter, and it's it's not because of like a lack of imagination or anything. Everything is tangible with him. Like it's. You get a lot of guys, and like Malik Willis is a great example. They run that offense he ran at Liberty. It was the most basic college offense you'll ever see as far as passing game. And some of that's Hugh Freeze. Some of that's the the coach. That, that's his, how he likes to call plays. That's how he likes to design it. It's what he did at Ole Miss. Same thing. Um, but some of it is like you get these guys on a whiteboard, and they're great. Bullets aren't flying. They draw you up whatever play you want to drop because they just worked with their private QB coach on it for two months before the combine. <laughs> they're good. You know, yeah. But with Ritter, none of this stuff is theory. It's him controlling an offense and and actually running a drop back. Like everything that the the Rams did this past year with the seven step dropbacks from like the, all the empty stuff. How many times you saw him hit like Robert Woods and OBJ in a backside dig? Ritter's doing that in college, which is so rare to see him a, a quarterback running a true NFL level drop back game. And on top of it, he has good movement skills and he can throw and he can handle protection. So like you say with the Shane Waldron offense. I can see him doing the play action game, the boot stuff, half field reads on the stuff because he can handle all that. So I agree with that completely. That I just think that he does fit to that type of offense. Can I just say how triggering it is hearing you talk so constantly about backside digs? Nate, I haven't seen a backside dig completed in years. What the hell is this? <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, man. Yeah. With, with your, yeah. Uh, that's probably because you couldn't see it the last couple of years. Uh, I know. And that's, that's what's nice about 
with Ritter, and this is the line I keep using on him, is that he's the comedian's comedian of quarterbacks. And that's I, – I when I was watching him at first on TV from 2020, I was just like, okay, yeah, he's, he's an athlete. He can run a little bit, you know, decent arm. And then I watched him on film, and that's when I, I kind of fell in love with him because it was just – he just handles real shit. And he's, it, he's the Norm McDonald of quarterbacks. He is. It's like everything hits. And it's sometimes it's some of the stuff that you don't think hits. You talk yourself and go, that was actually pretty funny. Like, <laughs> you know, that was, that was pretty good. That's exactly it. The Dave Attell of quarterbacks. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what he is. It's kind of those subtle jokes. And that's Got what it. he does. It's the pocket movement. It's the, the protection handling. Like he, I've, I've seen two quarterbacks. I can count quarterbacks on my hand that handle protections in college and he's doing it every game, which is just, it's crazy. Okay. Uh, and that's why, that's why I like him. There, there's still stuff to work on too. You know, he's got some accuracy stuff, but I think it's stuff you can improve. So at, at the top of the show, when I asked you to talk about the draft as a whole, the first thing you said was quarterbacks, quarterbacks suck. suck. <laughs> is, is Ritter an exception in this regard, or is he just the best in your mind of a bad group? Best of a bad bunch. And I would I have the same grade on him as I, I I would have him as basically quarterback four quarterback five last year I have the same grade on him as Zach Wilson mm-hmm. I was lower on Zach Wilson they win in two completely different ways totally Zach Wilson was all creation big throws all that stuff and Ritter's more just like you said the mid range jumper type and that but that's kind of where I would have him so I have a late first round grade on him and how I've always looked at quarterbacks you it's a half round inflation from your grade mm-hmm. so. That gets you into the early teens with him, you know, teenish pick. Pick nine might be a little rich for where I would like to take him. Like pick twenty to the Steelers is like what I think is a perfect for him. But that's what happens with quarterbacks. They 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 get inflated every single year. Totally. And teams are gonna trade up to yeah. to get him and and all of that stuff. So okay, so you open the QB can. A uh, couple of questions. One, here's here's my concern with the quarterback this yeah. year is I'm I'm worried about them being okay. I'm worried about them being Baker Mayfield or where you're just like, I, we got to stick. Ah, we, it's got, it's Daniel Jones. Like here's four years. Like you're stuck in no man's land. I hope that he somehow takes the leap and becomes someone that we could build a championship team around. But if he doesn't, you know, if the, the 23 quarterback classes is very heralded, and Seattle may be picking very highly, or they'll certainly have the draft capital to trade up and get one of the top quarterbacks. But if you take a Desmond Ritter and he's okay, uh, are you not just missing out then for the next couple of draft classes? I, I totally get what you mean. And that's why I have always been like, hey, if you like a guy, take him now, as opposed to kicking it to next year. Is like even last year when the, the last year's last year's class was the year to get a quarterback for a lot of these teams, or even trading for like a Stafford. Is that you can't bet on what how these guys unfold the next year? True. Sam Howell was looked at as a top five pick last year, a year ago. Not that I agreed with it, but he was looked at that, and now he might not even you know he's looking at it as like a round three pick. Some teams have him higher, some people have him higher, but. That's these guys ebb and flow so much. Having said that, yes, next year's class probably is going to be better yeah. <laughs> because there's already like three guys I would probably like more than anyone in this class. So, yes, I, I, I'm talking on both sides of my mouth. But I, like I said before, if I were John Schneider or in his role, I like Ritter. But if they don't or if they're not fully set on him, I get it. Being in no man's land at quarterback is the worst thing possible because now you're just like, shit, we're too good. 
to too good to blow it up. It's the Andy gonna, Dalton zone when that when that Bengals team was loaded and they I thought they had a three year stretch with the best roster in the NFL. Absolutely. Like it it was pristine roster building from from that front office. And they had Andy Dalton and he yep. was he was just good enough that you don't move on from him. The Mendoza line. Uh, yeah, yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. And that that's what I'm af- afraid Seattle I gets, get gets caught up in. Um, if they don't go quarterback, they're likely rolling out Drew Locke this year. Is there any reason to believe that Drew Locke can become what he Just look was at the grin once, on this guy's face what, before what he even answers once the question. My he God. Would be. Uh, what people it's just one of my when I first started the podcast with Robert, I, I, I was new to media and I was very guarded at first as far as some of my takes. I still am a little bit, but Drew Locke ripping into Drew Locke was one of my first kind of like hot takes. Was like <laughs> kind of like and that was a couple of years ago. That was one of my first kind of like I'm making fun of this guy. So I'm that's how I'm prefacing how I go about this. I think he'll be in a better situation as far as a team and expectations for him. I think sometimes new scenery is needed for these guys, especially for a guy that is still somewhat young. The, my issues with Drew Locke, and because he can he can make all the throws, which is okay, that's a good starting point. That, but that also is a dangerous starting point. Can make all the throws. It's how he gets to him. His processing has always been my issue with him, because to me it always seemed like he was scatterbrained, like that he would get a play call, play calls, blah 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 blah, sword. X dig, you know, they tell the concept, but they tag one route. That will happen. Tagging a route is telling one guy you're doing something different than usual. He would stare at the one route that's that's tagged Got because it. he like he would almost go, he would get tunnel vision. He would hear the whole play call, but he was like, oh, I, I know what that one route is. Okay, that's where I'm going, hell or high water. And then he would get himself in this trouble and, and his feet would go all, all, get all over the place. He, he would throw, he would spray throws. He would try to rope one in because he does have a great arm. He was trying to rope in throws that he should not even be trying to attempt or even looking at. So his processing need needed a ton of work. Um, Broncos then Broncos were a weird franchise the last few years, especially at the quarterback spot. So he didn't get really a fair fair shake. But it's just he didn't show the growth that I think a lot of people, including me, wanted to see with more bullets flying at him, more reps uh, sure. under center. Sure. Okay. So you know. That really reassured you, huh? No, I mean that's, that's essentially where where I'm at. You know, yeah. I, I I do see this as kind of a 2011 season for for the Seahawks, and it's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I, you know, we, one of the things we talked about last week on the show, we got a great question from a listener asking: Is it better to get the quarterback first and build around them, or is it better to, you know, build the house first essentially and then move the quarterback in? And and my initial thought was. You know, I, I think you could have success either way. And then as Mike and I talked through it, I started thinking about Trevor Lawrence and Fields. And these are, I think, infinitely better prospects than anyone available yes. this year. And yes. they sucked last year. Like they, <laughs> yes. like they were terrible. They had atrocious seasons. I think that if you throw them in the sewer, they're going to come out smelling like shit, like no matter, no matter what. And so I, I truly have settled in the camp of unless there's a guy that you just absolutely can't live without build, build the house around them. So let's, let's switch back into the universe and, and actually to your, to your quote, you're talking about 
you know, Sam Howell was considered maybe the first overall pick as recently as a year ago. Um, I know Davis Mills carried that mantle a couple of years ago as well. Um, I, I, I think he could still end up being pretty good, but he still can. Uh, I, 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 I bought a couple more shares of him as I've uh, kind of reviewed the year a little bit. So totally, totally. Yeah. But the reason I bring it up is I thought a year ago, the quarterback to wait for was Spencer Rattler. Oh, me too. And, and now, <laughs> now I'm not touching that dude with a 40 foot pole, right? Nope. So, like, things can't change. We are projecting 19 year olds. <laughs> yes, you know? and 19 year olds with a lot getting thrown at them. That yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But having said this, is actually, and I've talked about on field stuff, but real quick, this is one of the reasons why I really like Ritter is because of his off field stuff. Because from all by all accounts, he's a psychotic competitor. Like wired, how you want your quarterback to be wired, how you want any athlete to be wired, and how he improved from 2020 to 2021, and even as 2021 went along, that's why I'm such an optimist for him. Is that I'm like this guy is wired like a pro already, and he's mature. He has that kind of personality that's like that people gravitate towards. That's why I like him. But just talk about on the flip side, a guy like Rattler <laughs> who you realize, Oh yeah, these kids are 19 or 20 years old and they can just blow up at any moment and like totally unfurl. But that's the reason why I like Ritter is because he's that kind of, I compared him a lot mentality wise, personality wise to Dak in the sense that they're, they're not loud, grandiose, like rah, 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 rah guys, but you can tell that they're always seething. Like they're always like, they're uh, like one push away from blowing up. And that's, I think Ritter's wired the same way, but just a little sidebar. Why that's another component of him that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, I want my little robot psychopath at quarterback. Like, I like that. Well, you know, since you've tabbed him as the Seahawks QB of the future, you drafted him at number nine. I I think it's (laughs) worth mentioning. I, I do think that competitive spirit showed up at the combine because you watch Ritter play and you can tell he's athletic and he moves well, but they went to the combine and, put on a show like I mean he he did he tore it up and that to me signals like maybe we don't see those crazy measurables transfer onto the field in the NFL yeah but it shows me that he had a mission in mind for the combine and did Did everything he needed to do Oh, the guy! Yeah, they go. They go. Why are you? Why are you running tomorrow? He goes. Because I'm good at it. Like I just. I was like, hell yeah, this is my guy. Like yeah, yeah. But but how he said it again. It's how he says it. It's that borderline between cocky and confident. It's like yeah, he he toes it perfectly. There was a ton of that with Russell Wilson early on. I mean, where he was talking about wanting to go down as the greatest quarterback of all time, and we're like. You got drafted in the third round, bro. And it's like, oh, actually, you no, spent 10 years as a top five quarterback. So That's how he is. Uh, well, he, he transferred in in June or, June or July going into the year when he beat me out in three plays at Wisconsin. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, he did. That's there. right. I, you guys overlapped. I, I just gave it to him. I was like, yeah, no, I didn't give it to him. It was like, no, right. you, you you got it, bud. Like, yeah, I can't do yeah. that shit. Uh, but he he was wired like that from day one. And that's when I realized, oh, the great ones truly have that. Yeah, like they're wired completely different than a normal human being because that's how he was day in day out. Yeah, oh, I, I, I believe it. I mean, say whatever you want about Russell Wilson, the man is consistent in that yes. regard. Like just, just diabolically obsessed with <laughs> success, and and that's awesome. I'm, I'm going to miss that. And if yeah. if Desmond Ritter ends up being the next quarterback, it's cool to talking to you into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've been, I've been, I've been coming along on on Ritter. I mean, I, I don't really see 
Willis getting past both Detroit and Carolina anyway. Um, and so, and or, or a team like going high. Yeah. Yeah. Or a team trading up, you know, like, like Mike said last week, he is the clay that NFL coaches love to mold, yep. right? Like, Oh, give me that arm. It's, it's the high school kid that throws 98 and can't yep. hit the strike zone. You're like, yep. that's okay. That's okay. I can't teach 98 miles an hour. I'll yep. teach him how to throw strikes. That, that kind of thing. That's but exactly okay. what he is. Okay. So, so we've got, you, you've drafted Desmond Ritter. You, you, you're checking the quarterback box, at least for the next couple of years. Even after the first round end, the Seahawks have three of the next 40 picks. So who or what is GM Nate Tice hoping they leave the second day of the draft with? Oh man, there's a couple interesting guards in that range. You know, uh, I don't know how you guys feel about the the Seahawks guards right now. Like, uh, how old's Gabe now? Gabe is what? He's. Is, I mean, he's thirty. He's getting. He's thirty. I think he's yeah, like okay. Thirty on the dot. There's. Yeah. There's. I, uh, I, and Lewis. Lewis is young. 30. I'm less concerned about the guards currently. We don't have any tackles. Tackles, in right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, that's that. But that's the thing is these ta- the two tackles are kind of like the late first, early second guys. One I don't really like, Penning from Northern Iowa. Um, I think his, when I mentioned the whole, like watching saw before every game, they want that, like, that's what he is. Like, that's what he says he is, but he doesn't play like that. Um, I, I like, uh, Bernard Raymond from central Michigan. Um, I just think he'll go a little bit before, before the Seahawks select in the second round. I think he's getting talked about late first at this point in time. Um, also like. I, I, I'm so sexy. I just love talking about offensive alignment. I know how oh, cool man, we is, need how, much fun, how much fun that is. But no, uh, as far as the other tackles, you get the big kid from Minnesota, Falale. Like that is kind of what his range is. I like um, him, yeah. I do too. I, I I was a little, I was low on him to start. I came around and then I went back low on him. And now I'm back where I started. I'm like, <laughs> middle second is where you go. Sure. Also, I, I know a lot of people like this Tyler Smith from Tulsa. I have yet to watch him. But I know that's a name that's really been rising up the ranks. He brings a little bit of an attitude. I think he's got a good athletic ability. But that in that range, that might be where they look. And that's a kind of a mentality. I think that's a Seahawks mentality. Like it really is how he, you know, supposedly plays. I haven't dove into the second round tackles yet, more of a first round guy at this sure. point. But but that what's nice is probably don't need a running back. So I don't think you right. <laughs> I think you guys are good from that. Don't probably don't need a tight end. Don't jinx it. Um, don't jinx it. I know. So, so here's 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 the way that I would prioritize Seattle's needs. Like, if you're drafting for need, and I, I'm not sitting. I, I think as fans, we tend to be like, oh, we're weak at this position. We yeah. have to target it. In have the to fill there's, it. there's there's yeah. there's a lot of ways to acquire talent through trades, through free agency. Yep. Um, and and draft picks, even highly rated ones, are still just as likely to miss as they are to hit. And I think that. For me, though, if we were to target positions of need, the three that stand out, and then there's a fourth trailing right behind it, are tackle, edge rusher, and cornerback. And then, you know, kind of around seven, pick 72, I would love to see a wide receiver. And, and I think this is yeah. a draft that can kind of uh, provide that. With those four position groups, who do you think is likely that we can like start to get our hopes up to be there day two, day three for Seattle. Man, I, I know uh, Josh Paschal from Kentucky, Paschal, I, has gotten mm-hmm. some some love, and I think that's kind of a range. God, but that's the thing. It's like, if you asked me a month ago, there are all these guys like that. I'm like, oh, in the middle second. Now some of them are getting hyped up until like the late first. We talk about like picks 20 to 50 being kind of the same. That's what it's kind of like going around. Um, but that's a guy, uh, Boy Maffey from Minnesota. 
Mafi. Um, I know I, I've watched a little bit of him. I actually think he is, that's a perfect range for him, but now we're, he's we're getting, big on him around here. Okay, good. I know he's getting, now he's getting, he's become kind of, that's what happens. It becomes a one up fest. It's like, Oh, this is my, <laughs> this is the indie band that I like. Well, I like them. I like them early. I like, I'm Which taking prospects the are you gatekeeping Nate. <laughs> that's what happens. It's like these guys they just climb up the ranks. So you don't know where they're going to go now, but those two, I, I, I like at that position. Um, I would say too, corner is always dicey in the second round because it's kind of like if you're good enough, they're probably going to take you in the first. <laughs> there's there's only only so many uh, 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 digs from uh, the Cowboys in the world, and that was just a, he's a total outlier. Um, so at corner, you know, I think Martin Emerson. Uh, I like Tariq Woolen. That's a total Seahawks home run sw- swing from uh, University of Texas San Antonio. Um, big, tall, converted receiver. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Um, can run straight line, you know. So like that's that's another guy in that kind of range. But he's also getting hype because he's a height, weight, speed guy. Um, what was the other position? Receiver though. This is where it's tasty, especially in the third round. Khalil Shakur. I love Khalil Shakur. I love him. I just watched him. Give me all of that. That's one of the guys I, I told you guys when I hopped on here is I haven't showered all day because I've been watching receivers again to get some clips for my article. <laughs> and Khalil Shakur is a baller. Like that's a that's he's just a good player. Like I, I really like him. Especially, you know, Tyler Lockett, you know, keeps getting a little older. You get another guy that can be your Z, your slot guy. I like him. If we're going, if you're going true slot. Uh, Kyle Phillips from UCLA. I like him more in the third or fourth round. Uh, hell of a punt returner as well. Um, if you're going for more like Sky Moore is another guy that's a very, very interesting. Can be that Z, can move inside and out. Really like him. Second or third round. He's he's another hipster guy. Guy that originally was a third round. Someone said that he was their favorite. Someone else was going, oh, he's my favorite. No, he's my favorite. Now he's getting talked about like pick 30. And I'm like, no, no, no. Second round. That's what he was. <laughs> he was a second round pick. Everyone's chill out. Stop talking about him. But if you're looking, I think you guys are looking for more of that kind of crafty Z type. But those types of guys I, I really like. It's a really good class. And then I'm not talking big guys like Alec Pierce, who I also like in that range. Sure. If, if Christian Watson or George Pickens is sitting there at 40 and oh. 41, would you take a shot? Pickens, yes. Watson, I think, is more of a third round guy. I get he's another hipster guy. That's but it's Pickens at in the forties. I would really like that because that is worth the swing, even with the injury risk with him, and just the mentality he brings and toughness and all that. Like he, he's just yeah, he's a, aggressive. Yeah, I'm. I'm always hesitant to comp players based on the school that they went to because i think that's really lazy and we see a lot of that and it's like oh he reminds me of another guy who wore that same helmet but man he just has early career aj green written all over him ball winner that's what he is like that's my ball fuck you yep yep i know he's he's grown on me because i this year he barely played because of the injury so i finally got to watch some 2020 and 2019 tape of him and it's just the mentality he brings as a blocker, like he's a super competitive dude. What are the Seahawks like? Competitive guys. So he's super competitive. He's super tough. He is route running. I would say he's average at this point in time. That's the thing is that, like you said, he sees the ball in the air. He's snagging it. And so I really like him. Uh, I really do like him in that range. I think he's truly like more of a late first round talent, but that's going to drop a little bit because of injuries. Then Christian Watson, you guys mentioned, I like him more as a third rounder. He plays small. 
Um, that's what might concern me. The weird, he's the flip of Pickens. When the ball's in the air, he kind of falls backwards and lets the ball come to him. So that kind of turned me off to him. He's a little older. He's a redshirt senior. I, when I watched him, I thought he would just straight up be dominating like every time the ball was in the air or with the ball in his hands. And he was more good. And at the FCS level, you want to see more dominance. So I like him more as a third rounder. He's an intriguing guy. Pickens, I think, though, is, can, has the potential to be like a real dude. Man, it's, it's my official term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I will say, as as hard as it's been to kind of let go of this idea that Seattle is going to be a championship contender, like in hindsight, it's been probably four years since Seattle's been a true contender, but they've won enough games and they've had enough high profile talent across their roster that you can tell yourself a story about how they're competing for an NFC championship. And for the first time in a decade that's not the case anymore and and the payoff of that is this is the most interesting draft process from a Seahawks standpoint I mean Seattle's been punting a bunch of their picks they've been trading them back for a bunch of day three guys and it's like you hear a name get drafted like oh they took so-and-so in the fifth round and you start looking them up and you're like oh yeah I could see how he's gonna be good or whatever but like we have a chance to like leave the draft with some names for the first yep. time. And and I think that's really, really exciting. And and I can't think of many people better to bring in and kind of talk us through that than you. So really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been awesome. Uh, I know that this is one of the crazier parts of your year. So we're super appreciative that you carved out some time to hang out with us, man. Oh, no, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I, uh, Hopefully other people hear this one. Otherwise, we're, <laughs> we're, gonna, <laughs> otherwise, oh we're just going to have a whole bunch of unreleased records. We're going to be like Prince. Yeah, know, that's like, right. just like, <laughs> We're just yeah, going to record a whole bunch of records no one hears. <laughs> after we die, people will be bidding on the masters. <laughs> Don't worry, gentlemen. This is our purple ring. That's yeah, this right. is our purple ring. That's right. uh, well, listen, no, uh, before thank we you look, guys so much. Appreciate of course, it. man. Before we let you get out of here, why don't you let the people know where they can get more of you? Uh, yeah, mostly find me on Twitter, Nate underscore Tice. Uh, and also you can find me full time at The Athletic now, uh, mainly on The Athletic Football Show with Robert Mays. You'll hear me once or twice a week coming up in the draft season. But during the season, you hear me twice a week to hear too much of me, probably. And then, uh, yeah, that's that's really it now. Now I write for for The Athletic. Usually I have like four other things to say because I was freelance and writing for my part. <laughs> but it's actually so much quicker now. Uh, but now I, I'm also writing there. I got a receiver article coming out uh, later this week uh, about the, the drafts receivers. Well, it it's all well-deserved, man. I'm glad you're getting the audience because you are one of my favorite people to learn more about football from. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. And, uh, you know, really, really bright things ahead for you. So excited to keep this conversation going with you. And, and that's going to do it for us today. Uh, for those of you listening, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling Jackson. Mike is at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Y'all continue to amaze us with your support, not just tuning in, but in leaving the reviews, sharing on social media. We are so grateful for that. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.